I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Wednesday. Gonzaga wins and covers. UCLA wins as a big dog. Both advance to face off in the Final Four. In that game, the Zags are favored early line by 14. That's the biggest Final Four line, biggest Final Four favorite since 1973. Baseball opening day tomorrow. Two big favorites to win the World Series. Number two, Yankees. Number one, Dodgers. Dodgers expected wins, the highest of any team this century. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live on a Wednesday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great nation. In studio, Steve Fezzik. Jonas Day Off. Big day here. We got opening day of baseball coming up tomorrow. And we got uh, some picks related to that. And boy, what a, I don't know. Well, I think that UCLA was exciting, no doubt. And I don't want to make a big deal about this, but like a great roundhouse right. You know how they say he's got knockout power, the heavyweight? Well, our pick on over 10 and a half, you sum up the final fours. As the Pirates old announcer would say, there was no doubt about <laughs> it. Because the way I do my math, 11 plus anything equals a winner when the over-under is 10 and a half. For the end of that game, though, <laughs> the end of that game, Fez, uh, Michigan had a lot of chances at that. Yeah, no doubt. We thought Michigan only got one chance at it, and they got two kicks at the can. Well, you know, what do you mean? Why did we think? Who thought there was only going to be one chance when at When Michigan it? missed their first shot, I thought the ball had dribbled out of bounds and the game was going to be over, and then they did put you out. Know, did you know the call? Did you know who it went off of? It, yes, but I you thought— You did? So the, the refs got it wrong? The refs got it right. Then I'm confused. You I thought there was only went off. I of. thought there was only going to be 0.3 seconds left. And so how much time was left? 0.5. So oh. enough time to catch and shoot. Yes. You get a pretty good shot. No doubt. Yeah. So probably not the focus being the one chance, right? The focus was they had look, seemingly look after look, and they were all good looks. I mean, it's like it wasn't like there was a desperation shot in the bunch. Surprisingly good looks. Yes. But still, UCLA wins. And this is a team, it's hard to figure. Now, Pac-12 has obviously overperformed in the tournament. USC got beat, and we'll get to that easily against the Zags. We were wrong. We liked the dog in that game. But UCLA winning, this is a team that, that had to play in the play-in, UCLA. It's a team that... Ended the year not all that hot, right? If anything, four straight. straight. I mean, the opposite of hot. 
Now, you had the theory yesterday that I thought was quite insightful. Your thought was, hmm, here's why the Pac-12 might have done, might be doing better than we expected. Because the COVID restrictions in California were more restrictive. And because of that, compared to typical other states, because of that, the ability to practice, the ability to do the things that teams do to get better, to evolve throughout a season, they were restricted. And thus, what might take two or three months in another conference out of state, it took maybe an extra month, an extra period of time for the California schools. And in general, the Pac-12 schools on the West Coast, a little bit more restrictive even beyond California. And thus, the maturing, the coming into their own, the kind of reaching their pinnacle for a team happened later in the Pac-12. And thus, how they were doing in December, January, February was a little behind other teams. But then, as so if you looked at the season results, performance of the Pac-12, not that impressive, but the truth at the time, the truth entering the tournament was these teams were peaking, and thus we saw a lot of Pac-12 performances that it's been over beyond expectations. It's exceeded expectations. As you saw the two games yesterday, does that still feel right to you? And again, this is something that has not been said many places uh, any update on that thought? Well, it certainly fits UCLA. If you watched that game against Michigan, it's certainly the eye test said, boy, both these teams pretty much equal. This game could have gone either way. And UCLA was catching six and a half. And just UCLA throughout this tournament, you nailed it. They're the 11 seed. They got to win a play in game just to continue. Uh, I don't think anyone would have had UCLA close to an 11 seed if we reseeded these, all these teams, clearly undervalued team. Well, but hold on. If we would have reseeded UCLA, when would they? I mean, now that they're in the Final Four, yeah. what? So, what Final Four team would ever still be a fair, double-digit seed when they won four straight games? Fair enough. But I think that we. So, so we think UCLA is better now than we did four games well, ago. Well, much, much better. Yeah. But beyond what a double, I mean, double-digit seeds making the Final Four are very, very rare. So, Mackenzie, let's pull up kind of the history on the double-digit seeds and, and certain seeds in the Final Four. You got that ready? Yeah, sure do. Go ahead. There's been six. This is going to be the uh, seventh double-digit seed, fifth, eleventh seed, and those teams so far, zero and five straight up in ATS. Double-digit seeds have never won in the Final Four. Okay, so you're saying that there's been six prior to this. Yes. Okay. And what were those teams and what were those seeds? George Mason in 2006, Loyola 2018, LSU 1986, Virginia Commonwealth 2011, Syracuse 2016, Wichita State 2013. So what we're saying is, if we look at the last 10 years or so, so it seems like that up to maybe 2011, and I'm just going by memory of what you did, why don't you throw those up on the screen and I'll take a gander at those. Sure. But, boy, it seems like, if anything, we're seeing more parity in college basketball. For a long time, there was the haves and have-nots. And now we're saying, hey, the difference between these teams isn't all that much. Uh, an 11 seed and a 3 seed, let's say. Now, a number one seed and potentially a great number one seed, that's a different story. I'm R.J. Bell, straight out of Vegas. So let's take a gander at the greatness of Gonzaga. So A.J. Hoffman, pregame.com, Houston Radio also was here the week of the tournament kicking off. 
did podcasts, did multiple days on straight out of Vegas. And he said Gonzaga's an all-timer. And he was telling all the Vegas guys, he was saying, hey, you want to bet? And a lot of them said, and the bet I put together was, do you want to have two teams other than Gonzaga or Gonzaga? And we said, you know, the two teams need to be like plus 110, give them a little extra payoff. And Fez, you took that bet, if I recall. I did. I took Baylor and Illinois. Okay, so in theory, you're still in action right now. <laughs> so how, what do you think the Baylor-Gonzaga line would be? Four and a half. That's small. So Baylor over Houston is a bigger favorite because this other game in the Final Four right now is Baylor is what over Houston? Five. All right, so you think the distance between Baylor and Houston is greater than the distance between Gonzaga and Baylor? Yes. You don't sound so sure of that. I don't know. I'm thinking now, again, remember, in this 14-point line, UCLA is getting 14 against the Zags in the first of the Final Four matchups. That means there's a pretty darn good chance that Gonzaga is going to look pretty good yeah, in that you know, game. And, and it's a good point that if is UCLA nine points worse than Baylor, that would be a stretch. You know, so if UCLA is 14, you know what? You're right. I think I think more like six for Gonzaga against Baylor. All right. So you, you but, but you're going to be plus one ten at six. Not not so good. If I get there, yeah, I'm not even sure well, I get there. There's a chance Zags don't get there either. Yeah, right? not as good a chance. So, but you, so even though you've got a team left, and 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 I guess AJ saw what I think everyone's starting to see now, which is this Zags team is a rare combination because in modern college basketball, it feels like we have one of two things: one is great players or great prospects. One and done types, the types that have so much talent, they're NBA bound. All right. And then we've got teams, the idea that they're there for a second, third, even a fourth year, and they learn to play together. And the challenge is often well, what wins? A good players, but a great team? Or is it great players with somewhat of a team? Because if the great players don't have any team, they don't even make the tournament. Right. Kentucky had great players this year. Duke had great players. And we're not saying it's just there was a lack of team, but in general, great players sometimes don't even make the tournament. But if you have great players and a good team even, you're going to be in the tournament. You're going to be in the conversation. Now, if you if you have a great team but not good players, eh, Loyola maybe, you know, you might make it a couple rounds. And it's going to be a great story. It's going to be a feel-good story. But to be in the conversation to win the NCAA title – You've got to at least have a good team and great players or great players and a good team. Could it be the Zags are the first team we've seen in a long time that has both a great team and great players? And if so, it would make sense this is an all-time team. This team will go down statistically as the best team since at least 1976. Indiana went undefeated, so it's an undefeated team. But the margin of victory, they've had one game this entire season. They have not won by double digits. Gonzaga has won every game this season, except against West Virginia. They won by six. And every other game, they've won by double digits. And they've won every tournament game, I think, what, by 15 or more? And, yes. and that's something I don't think has been the case since Connecticut, maybe, in 04. 
So we're talking about just any one of these things, an undefeated season. That's going to put you in the final category. A four straight games, and let's see what they win from here, but potentially all double-digit wins throughout the whole tournament. That would put them in a special category. You could say the season with all those big wins, special. You put it together, is there a team that clearly is better? Couldn't the case be made that you could reasonably say Gonzaga is the best team in college basketball history? And let's say since 1976. Let's admit that John Wooden and what was going on with UCLA, Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton, that was a different thing. right? I don't know how to even judge that. What I know is the biggest Final Four line – of any of these Final Four matchups since 1973 is Gonzaga over UCLA. By the way, that 73 game was UCLA favored by Moore with Bill Walton. That's what we're talking about. Bill Walton-style type back in time. Zags could be the best team of this uh, of the modern era. They absolutely could be. And you know what? When you looked at the second half, the Zags won last night by 19. They're up 19 at halftime. Here's what I saw, RJ. I saw the Zags having good opportunities in the second half. They like to run, and they basically said, you know, we're up 20. All right, let's run 15 seconds a clock. So they slowed up, slowed up a bit, and I think that disrupted their offense, recognizing, you know what, we're not going to give this team, USC, any chance so, to uh, win. I'm confused. So we're saying they won by 20 points? 19. 19, and you're saying somehow you're explaining why they didn't play better? I think they could have won by 30. And and what and why didn't they win by thirty? Because when they're up twenty with twelve minutes to play, they basically said, "Yeah, we'll run a little extra clock each possession just to make sure there's no comeback for USC." They basically did some clock management. Okay, but that's smart, right? It's smart to win the game, but it's yeah. not smart to max maximize what, how much they would win. How much? By. How much more would they advance if they had won by more? I think if they would have kept. No, I, no, yeah. I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Mm-hmm. All right, follow me here. Follow yes. the bouncing ball, as they say. I understand totally that if they would play shooting threes with like seven seconds or less, there's a chance they could have won by more. And there's a chance they could have lost the game. The fact that they said, hey, we'll take the win, I totally get that if they would have been motivated to somehow win by 30, they could have won by 30, but it would increase the chance of losing. Is that your point? Yes. But they won by 19, so no one's thinking they didn't win by a lot. The fact that they were able to win by 19, the strategy they employed is ultra impressive, I think. Okay, that would be the last of that kind of comment from Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell. Let's take a quick look at let's take a quick look at when teams have advanced as double digit favorites to the Final Four. So up until 2011, not that long ago, less than 10 tournaments ago, there had only been two double digit seeds to make the Final Four. The 1986 LSU team, Dale Brown. And the 2006, or yes, 2006, George Mason. So really, from 85 to 2005, one team, LSU. Then in 2006, George Mason. Then starting since 11, in 2011, VCU. In 16, Syracuse. 18, Loyola. And now, this year, UCLA. So that's one, two, three, four, four in the last decade. And there was about 20 years in which there was one. College basketball has become a sport of greater parity, no doubt about it. And luckily that helped his cashier over on the sum of the final four teams over 10 and a half. When we come back, we're going to go to the NFL. And then later we got some baseball picks. Ooh, we... 
these are some of my favorite picks. There's an opening game system that's just gold. I don't say there's any guarantees, but this one I'm going to be taking off the rubber band for. When we come back, we are straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Marion, and I have a new sports podcast called the Lights Out Podcast with Sean Marion. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who's ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Merriman on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Joined by Steve Fezzik in studio. Jonas Knox few well-deserved days off. All right, Fez, we talked about the tournament so far, and we're going to be getting into football. NFL is king. We know that. And, boy, the amount of betting that can be done in the NFL, it doesn't stop. And, unfortunately, I've got a bet I love that got a little bit worse, a little less attractive once we had the announcement of the 17-game season. And I think there's a lot of elements of this 17-game season that are not obvious for batters and for fans. This is the fastest-growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Great day to join us. And we are, we've, audiences doubled in the last year plus. We thank you so much for that. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search straight out of Vegas. Right here in Vegas on the Strip, 73 degrees, the neon is pumping. Okay, 17 games. As a classic old-school guy, a young old-school guy, but still at heart old-school, I don't like 17 games. I get it. There's more money. They're going to make more from a preseason game. The theory is there's going to be three preseason games now, which means, okay, there's going to be an odd number of home and away during the preseason for a team and an odd number in a 17-game season. So my understanding is they're going to be alternating that year after year where you either have an extra home game in the preseason, which is less attractive, or an extra home game in the regular season, which is obviously more attractive. So all the time, what leagues are trying to do, all the time, is make it where it's a fair competition. Whoever makes the playoffs, it's fair, right? I don't know if that's the case. If one team has nine home games, the other team has eight, how is that fair? And I get the next year it's going to be in reverse, but for this year, there's an advantage. What's the point? I don't know. Maybe they should all have one neutral game, which would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Pick the state. Like every team, you make it like a regional game, and and it could be region across because what they've done here is added a non-conference game, correct? Yes. So why not say, okay, who's the non-conference team that is a rival? So let's say Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Maybe they play every second year, every third year. Maybe there's a cycle of these kind of games. And maybe that game is played at some stadium that's not the Steelers stadium. It's not the Philly stadium. Maybe it's somewhere in between. And lo and behold, that's like a travel. It's almost like an event you travel to. 
and you say, hey, we finally, you know, Giants against Jets. I think that's a great idea. You probably want to do it starting next year because of the COVID restrictions. You don't want both teams well, traveling, right? Well, this year, um, by all accounts, the fans and Goodell has said in a statement he believes they're going to have full fans and uh, no restrictions, it seems, by this fall. I mean, I don't know. I don't have all the doctor's insights he has, but that seems to be the NFL. I don't think it's particularly pertinent, So, and I don't think they're going to do it this year regardless. We're coming up with an idea, but do you have any thoughts on the idea, perhaps? I actually love the idea, and, and it goes back to that fairness aspect. The AFC, all the AFC teams now have a slight advantage. They get the nine home games versus the NFC teams. At least they kept it within the conference that everyone in, within the conference is all going to play the same number of home games. All the AFC teams get nine home games. Okay, now that's interesting. So what you're saying is because it's going to be alternating years in which the home team is going to be designated and who you're competing against is going to be in conference because till you get to the Super Bowl, you don't really compete against a team can be undefeated or not. It doesn't really affect you. And since there's no home court advantage or home field advantage in the Super Bowl, really what the record of the other conference is doesn't matter that does address that pretty well. Let's give them credit there. I hadn't thought that all the way through. So all the AFC teams have an extra one this year, all the NFC teams next year. And then the theory is the Bengals, the Steelers, the Browns, the Ravens, all in the division, and all the AFC teams are all playing on the same playing field. What isn't the same playing field is the emphasis now on what you're if you have a first place schedule, a second place schedule, third place, or fourth place. In the past, up to now, it affected two games. There were two extra games you played that weren't predetermined that was about your slot. Because if you think about it, you would play one other division in your conference right, and play all those teams. You would play one other division out of conference, play all those teams. And then there'd be two other div- – and then you played six games amongst your own division, times two each, three times two. And what was left – was two games against the other divisions in your conference, but slotted first place, second, third, or fourth. So, for example, Washington, that won the division last year, and that's the bet that I made, is right here on air, love Washington to win the NFC East plus 350. That was our bet. And at the time, Washington would have had to play a first place schedule, and that would mean two additional games against first place teams. And the theory is the next year those first-place teams are going to be better. Not that every year they're the same, but in general, if I could play last year's fourth-place team or last year's first, I'd rather play last year's fourth. But now this cross-conference deal, that one additional game, one, NFC's playing on the road, which hurts Washington, and they have to play the Buffalo Bills. So you're going to add one game, and you're adding the Buffalo Bills. Now, I'm not sure how the rest of the NFC East ended. What was Dallas's slot last year? Dallas is at New England All right. this year. At least that's a kind of a tougher game. Yeah. In fact, that makes me feel a little better. But obviously, I'd rather be at New England than be at Buffalo. Sure. And now the Giants, though, are going to have a fairly easy game, right? Well, I guess against – so Giants got last, was it? The Philly. Uh, the, oh, the, Philly, the got Philly got last. last so. Okay. Well, I guess they did have that sixth pick. <laughs> yes. So Philly will get the Jets. And then it's going to be Miami against Giants. Okay, that's not so bad because Phil. But you can see now 
that it was two games before that your position, because you always hear, oh, they, that team has a first place schedule. That team has a second place schedule. It's like it mattered in two games. Now it matters in three games, 50% more. Pretty big deal, I think. And it's a kind of a big deal to kind of throw at us after bets have been made. Now, do you think it's worth, I'm talking to Steve Fezzik, we are straight out of Vegas. Do you think it's worth seeing if some of these early bets have been canceled? Now, obviously, there hasn't been any over-under win totals yet, which would be 17 games, obviously, going over 9 versus 16 is very different. That would be canceled. But something like division bets, are we sure that all the different sports books are just kind of rolling with it? That is my understanding, that all of them have the fine print that uh – you still have action. By the way, Bet Rivers did come out with the first NFL season win number after the it was announced the 17 games. So based upon 17 games. Do you have those numbers in front of you? I'd be interested to hear the Dallas versus Washington. What do we got for Dallas and Washington? Dallas nine and a half shaded to the under on the VIG. Okay, so nine and a half out of 17 games. Go ahead. Washington eight. Holy cow, that's low. I like the over. So they're saying Washington is favored to have a below 500 record. Yes. What's the Giants total? Seconds. Wow, that is bad. I mean, good for me. (laughs) Giants at seven. Okay, and then Philly? Under seven, Vig on the under. Okay, so they're saying Giants and Philly are almost even. Mm -hmm. Giants a little bit better. Well, I tell you this. You let me take the Giants over Philly and make me lay 130 or something – where it's heads up on wins, I'm, go- I'm, I'm taking off the rubber band. What would you like in that? Well, you mentioned to me, because of our discussion off air, how bad Philly's going to be, I like the Giants. But what did you think? I hadn't formulated my opinions yet. Oh, okay. All it's those, early. All those, all, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's like when you don't really know the NBA that well and you're not working four days a week, chances are you should be doing something. Like, what? You're not doing NFL? What are you doing? I'm doing NFL. But you haven't gotten to the NFC East yet. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell. Okay. There's another team that you think is going to be affected by the schedule, the 17 games. And that's a team that's going to be, to their advantage, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, because the 49ers were in last place last year. So, they get that last place team in the AFC North. They get to go to the Bengals. Huge advantage for San Francisco because there's only one bad team in the AFC North, one below average team, and it's the Bengals. So, Seattle has to go to Pittsburgh. Arizona has to go at Cleveland. The Rams have to go to Baltimore. Look at that. San Francisco, big advantage with this added game. And it goes to show you the emphasis, once again, the emphasis on where you finished in your division, an additional game, that means it's 50% more important. AFC North plays the NFC West, AFC South versus the NFC South, AFC East against the East, and the AFC West against the North. So the South matches up against each other, the East matches up against each other, and then the AFC West against the NFC North and the AFC North against the NFC West. And that's where you're saying San Fran against Cincy, the one fair or, in theory, easy team in the AFC North. San Fran gets to play. Yes. I'm RJ Bell straight out of Vegas. Let's shift to Aaron Rodgers. Talk is now there were six Green Bay Packers, six of them, that restructured, restructured their contract, and it was to get additional cap space. 
Aaron Rodgers is not one of them. Wow. Everyone's first reaction is, what's wrong with Green Bay? Why don't Green Bay see the genius of the Aaron Rodgers who got us to one Super Bowl in 20 years? Oh, wait. That's just facts. Sorry about that. The genius of Aaron Rodgers. If only he had a good organization behind him. Except, boy, the Packers have been winning a long, long time. But that's because of Brett Favre. It's not because of the organization, somehow. But anyway. And Aaron Rodgers, who was drafted as the stand-in, ready to take the place of Brett Favre, he's mad that someone's been drafted to play that role for him. Now, the hypocrisy we don't worry about too much because the media isn't all that smart, let's be candid. But it does strike me that, <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers at some point is going to have to take culpability for the winning and losing of Green Bay. And when you're like one for five in a, uh, NFC Championship games and you're one Mendenhall fumble away from losing the Super Bowl. Oh, wait, that's my Steelers fan coming out. But... I do think there's a part of this story that's being missed because right away you hear about Aaron Rodgers not being restructured and you hear and you think, wow, Jordan Love, that's why they don't want him here the next year. But then you get some reporting from inside Green Bay that says, actually, by these reports, it's Aaron Rodgers that decided he didn't want to restructure because the act of restructuring is making further commitment further commitment to the team. And Aaron Rodgers, by all reports, is mad. He's mad because they drafted Jordan Love, and he doesn't want to restructure, which is really tantamount to saying, it's the same as saying, I don't want to improve our chance to win this year. Because haven't we all embraced the reality that what Tom Brady does, the restructuring, the taking less money, that gives more money for the in a finite salary cap to get other good players. That's what helps teams win. Brady with the Patriots. Brady with the Bucks. And if the team had decided not to, it would have been C, Green Bay again is hurting Aaron Rodgers' chance to win because they won't restructure him. They don't want to make additional commitment to win this year. But wait a minute, perhaps it's not that. Perhaps it's Aaron Rodgers is peeved they drafted Jordan Love and thus he's going to punish the team by not restructuring and thus hurting his team's chances to win. Does he have every right to do that? Hell yeah. But isn't he going to be culpable the same way the team would have been culpable? If the team was doing it because they didn't want to further their contract or extend it with Rodgers... It would have been a trade-off, hurting the team this year to get away from Rodgers when they wanted. Yeah, they would have been hurting the team. That would have been the trade-off. Now Aaron Rodgers, if this is true, the reports, is making a trade-off himself. For his freedom, he's hurting the team this year. And it doesn't seem like we're going to hear the same response to that in the media, which, again, hypocrisy is kind of their business, it seems. <laughs> but not in this case. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. We are Straight Out of Vegas. I'm RJ Bell. Jonas out for the week back on Monday. Don't forget to check where you rank in Fox Sports Radio's M Drive Million Dollar Bracket Challenge at FoxSportsRadio.com. Perfect brackets, long gone. That's true, Fez. <laughs> but still up for grabs is $1,000 for the listener in first place, $300 for second place, $200 for third. Frank F. is the listener currently in first place as we head into the Final Four. And TJ 
Husmanzada is leading the host bracket. I don't think they got my bracket. Well, they, they got my B bracket, I think it was. <laughs> no, no, no. My bracket was not great this year. I had a high state in the Final Four. The full standings can be accessed at foxsportsradio.com. It's the M Drive Million Dollar Bracket Challenge. Refine your prime with M Drive. All right, Fez, we got a big final segment. Always at 650 Eastern. It's like we do better than 50 50. This time you got to be a little earlier. We're going to be before 650 to do better than 50 50. But when we come back, we're going to go into baseball opening day. We're going to talk a little bit about what teams are historically good. We got one of them, the Dodgers, historically good. But there's a way to bet with a lot of history. A way to bet opening day that has been very, very profitable. We're going to give you all the info on that. We are straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas, joined by Steve Fezzik in studio. This is right before 6.50 is when we do better than 50-50. Jonas off this week, back next week. All right, Fez, this is one of those examples. And if there's a lesson to be learned for the kids out there, and we're always thinking of the kids, I worry sometimes. I used to do uh, Kevin and Bean for years, like six years in uh, L.A. morning radio, and uh, they were like, you know, one, like a Howard Stern show. They retired. And I had five straight, actually six straight winning NFL seasons with them. And I said, sometimes I worry that the kids who grew up listening to this every Friday morning through football are going to think, I don't want to go to college. I want to be like <laughs> RJ and bet. So I always got to say for the kids, it's not easy. It's not, and it's cutthroat. And you've got to deal with some real scumballs. But... It's been fun for me. And one of the lessons that you got to learn is next year comes mighty quick. So if you find a system, you find something that's noteworthy, and it's only noteworthy one game a year, one day a year, you put it in the files. And one of those things is an opening day baseball system that's won a shocking amount. And we're going to give you that system. We could keep it for ourselves. It probably hurts our net profit giving it to you because you're going to move the numbers. 100-plus thousand people going to move the numbers. But you know what? That's a commitment that I've made. We're not going to hold stuff back for you guys. First, though, let's talk about the season as a whole. we got two big favorites in baseball, opening day tomorrow. Yankees are the second favorite, plus 550. Dodgers, first favorite, plus 350. Now, historically, favorites have not done well in baseball. Entering the season. McKenzie and pregame.com research. Pull that up because before the Dodgers, it had been like 21 or something straight favorites that were better than 10 to 1 that didn't win the World Series. Can you pull that? Yeah, one sec. All right. And just put that on the screen. And so we're not saying the only teams that can win it are the Dodgers and Yankees, but they are the favorites. Dodgers five and a half to one. Or check that. Yankees five and a half to one. Dodgers three and a half to one. After that, Padres. Padres, the third favorite. San Diego Padres, 8-1. to one. 
Atlanta Braves 10 to 1, White Sox 10 to 1. White Sox is a team that was hot last year. A lot of betting on them last year didn't turn out so well. Mets 11 to 1, Twins 18 to 1, Houston Astros 22 to 1, Blue Jays 22 to 1. Okay, so Dodgers Yankees in top tier, Padres next, Braves, White Sox, Mets. Those are all the teams better than 18 to 1. But if you look at how good the Dodgers really are, they have a win total, the Dodgers, of 103 and a half. 162 games this year, right, Fez? Yes. Normal amount. Mm-hmm. And over under 103 and a half. That's the highest win total since the 1999 New York Yankees. And the Yankees had won a record 114 games the previous season. So Yankees in the middle of their dynasty. Then the next year, in 1999, they had a win total of 104 and a half. Now the Dodgers, the highest this century, 103 and a half. They add Cy Young winner last year, Trevor Bauer. Now, on the low end of the spectrum, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates over under 58 and a half wins. That's tied with the 2019 Baltimore team for the lowest win total ever, ever. So, not good. Pirates not good. I, me as a lapsed pirate fan, I believe that my lack of pirates fandom is conscientious objection. It's very similar to that. I can't support a team that destroys winners and wins that way. Uh, before the Dodgers last season, World Series favorites of 10 to 1 or better were 0 for 28 to win the World Series. So between 2010 and 2019, there were 28 teams favored like that. This year, there's three. 0 for 28. Every World Series champion, except for last year and the last 11 years, was better than 10 to 1. Bigger long shot than 10 to 1. Now, getting in the winning zone, here is the system. If you have the opening game for the team, so that could be opening day. That could be the second day if they don't play on opening day. But the opening day for a team, if there's a favorite, and it doesn't matter if they're home or road, right, McKenzie? Nope. Yeah, we looked into that. Home or road, and if they're a favorite between 125, minus 125, and minus 200. Does 200 make it or 195? 199 and lower. Okay, so lower than 200. So from 115 to 199, those teams return a 30% ROI. Now, what is that return on investment? That means for every 100 you bet, you'll win about $30. Now, this is historically, how many years does that go back? 16, 2004. So we're going back 16 years, guys, and just playing this blind, and it's done that well. It's been 112 winners, 44 losers, 46 units with 166 games. A lot of numbers there. Just know that's a shocking number of wins. What's that, Fed? Is, that, is it like 57%? Is it 10% ROI? So that's like winning like, like, 60, like 67% of games, yeah, right? it's incredible. Incredible. So just looking today, we're saying, I'm just going down the board as we speak, Cincinnati's minus 116. So Cincinnati would fall into that category. It has to be minus 125. Oh, is it one, it's not 115. It's 125. Yeah. Okay, so not that one. Thank you for that correction. So the New York Mets certainly fall into it at minus 150. Now that line's gone up. That's interesting. And then if you keep looking, the Yankees fall into it, 179. That line's gone up. Hmm. 
Cleveland falls into it, minus 185. That line's gone up. Here's one I like. Boston, minus 165. That line's gone down. So that's going to be my favorite amongst you. I don't like betting a bad number. So I think it's smart to probably play them all, to be candid. But make sure if you do, your low limits. But we'll make our kind of feature one, Boston, minus 165. Remember, this will apply tomorrow's games, and then Friday's games, too, when they're the first game from a team. Okay, back tomorrow. Great day. We'll be previewing Final Four stuff, looking at the NFL, all that kind of stuff that we love to do. Now, we give you the odds every day. Next up, the odd couple. See you tomorrow. Right out of Vegas!